Today we are uh, beginning the last sermon series in a journey that we've been taking at Clay Church through the Bible. Uh, we actually started this last October. I don't know about you, but can you believe it? Like we started this, this journey in October and I'm torn between the, the idea that time has flown by or, or stood still, like some days I feel both. Maybe you have felt the same way in this, in this last year, right? Whatever the case is, this month we're going we're gonna to try and pull together some of what we have learned over the past several months, and we're going to think about what impact what we've learned about the Bible has on, on our lives, and I, let me just say this, in, in a year of a pandemic and just all kinds of craziness when we, when we think about it, right? If you, if you don't remember that we've been taking a, a walk through the Bible, that is, that is okay. In my 20 years of ministry, I, there has not been a year like the last year, and that actually includes the year of the 9-11 attacks, which was right at the beginning of my ministry, and, and maybe thus it's, it's fitting as we start this last part of, of, uh, of our journey through the Bible, not ever traveling through the Bible, but this journey that we've been taking for the last year, maybe it's fitting that, that we're going to start this month, this series, with a look at the book of Revelation, which, right, it speaks to a people and to a church that were, that were struggling and seeing ch great change in the world and and trying to figure out how to live in this world filled with turmoil. I also want to say something as, as we start today. I want to clarify something even as I say this. I don't mean to make reference right now to the pandemic and everything happening in the world uh, and, and revelation in any way that, that sort of buys into that amalgamation of of biblical images that gets put together in like crazy end times predictions. I'm not, I don't mean to do that today or, or uh, in stories like the Left Behind series and movies. Some of you may remember Left, the Left Behind. I'll share more about how we can approach Revelation in a few minutes because that's where we're going to start today. But, um, but here's what we know from Jesus, from the Gospels. Right? We may be living in the end times and we may not, but Jesus says very clearly in Matthew 24, the hour and the day we will not know. Right? So please, as we start today, just please, please, please hear me say this. All of the crazy end times predictions that are out there and all the sort of end times literature that is out there, it's fiction. Right? Hear me say that again. All the crazy end times predictions that are out there all the literature like the Left Behind series, I, I, some of you read it, it's, it's fun reading, but it is, let me just say up front, it is fiction, right? Fun to watch or, or read and think about, but, but not true. So today, as we get started in this series with the last book of the Bible, we're going we're gonna to get beyond the fiction. So, so let me ask this, quick question as we dive into God's Word today. What words or thoughts come to mind when you think of the book of Revelation? Just, as I say Revelation, the book of Revelation, what, what comes to mind? And then let me ask, how many of you, like, think confusion? When you think of the book of Revelation, you think, eh, that, it confuses me. I see some hands for confusion. How many scary? 
Like, I mean, if, when you think about it, it's like, ooh, yeah, that's scary. I, 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 I don't, don't even read it because it just scares me, right? Strange and bizarre. Anybody think strange and bizarre when you think of Revelation? Disturbing. How many of you have been disturbed by the images before? How many of you are just thinking, well, I don't have words anymore. I gave up reading that book a long time ago, <laughs> right? Eh, not, not doing that anymore. In fact, some of you are thinking, Revelation, I might just, I wish I had a baby I could slide out right now too, you know, right? No doubt there are some, some strange and weird and hard to understand stuff in this last book of the Bible. For example, I, maybe, maybe you know this about Revelation. Did you know that in Revelation it, it says that uh, only introverts go to heaven? Are you aware of this? Only introverts go to heaven? Revelation 8.1, it says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Think about this. A whole half hour of silence. It tells us there are not extroverts there. I'm kidding. Just kidding. That is why we do not take a single verse out of context. The truth is, if we explore the book of Revelation, I think we might find some wisdom in the Word of God that enlightens and directs us and helps us to answer these two questions that we've been asking, and sometimes we brought them up, and sometimes they've just been laying underneath, but we've been asking two questions since last October. How does my life help others to see and know the love of Jesus? Question one. And question two, what are we doing individually and collectively to contribute to a more Christ-like community? And I think, I think as we look at Revelation today, we might find some wisdom about those answers. So before we dive in, would you, uh, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, take my lips this day and speak through them. Take our minds. Those of us gathered here and, and those watching this sermon online, take our minds and think through them. And Lord, take our hearts this day and set them on fire with your love. Amen. Who are you? How would you answer that question? Who, who are you? Who are you as a person? Who are you as a, as a follower of Jesus? It's our sermon series title for this month. We're, we're going to explore this question all month because right, how we answer this question of who we are has an impact on how we live. If I say I'm a, I'm a parent, it it affects how I see myself, how I understand my role in the world. Right? Are, we, are we people of God or, or people of the world? Are we people of judgment or people of acceptance? Are we givers or are we takers? Are we people of fear or are we people of hope? How we answer the question of who we are reflects how we see ourselves and, and how we see ourselves impacts how we live our lives from moment to moment. Now, you may be asking, what, what does this question have to do with the book of Revelation? We're going we're gonna to get there, but to get there, we're going to sort of dive into uh, sort of a, a journey through biblical times. So, are you ready? We're going to invite you to fasten your seatbelt. We're going to go back to about, uh, about 90 AD. That's about the date that we think Revelation was written. I want you to hear these words from Revelation 1, 9 to 11. 
I, John, your brother who share with you and Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Theatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So a a couple of important questions as we take this walk back into biblical times. The first question is this, and this is a great question to ask of anything you read in the Bible. Who is writing this? And the answer here is John. And there's some debate between scholars if this is the John that was a disciple of Jesus or if it was someone who came after but also had the name of John. But it doesn't really matter. Regardless, there are really strong parallels between the Gospel of John and the letters of John and the book of Revelation. More important, we know two things about John from the letter itself. The first thing that we know is he was being persecuted. Right? He says he was in exile. And the second thing that we know is that he, he was obviously a leader of the church in Asia because these are the churches where he's been invited to write these letters. The second question that we should ask is, who is this letter to? And the, letter, and the, and the answer here is, right, the churches of Asia. It names these seven churches. And note, and this is important, when we answer this question, who is Revelation written to? The answer is the churches of Asia in that time, not you and me. We're blessed to read these words today. There are messages in these words today, but we were not the audience for John's revelation. Right? John is not writing to the future church. John is writing in the present while exiled for his beliefs in the midst of suffering to a people who follow Jesus and are also suffering. If you've been scared or disturbed by Revelation in the past, it's likely because someone was trying to use Revelation to define the future. And again, hear me say, it doesn't mean that Revelation doesn't have things to, to say about the future, what God is, is doing in the future. But Marty Solomon has some great teaching on this uh, in, a, in a podcast you can listen to called the Bema Podcast. Um, I'm going to be sort of putting it all together. There are 16, like, 30-minute sessions in the Bema podcast just on Revelation. Uh, don't worry today. We'll be out in an hour or so. I'm not going to go through all 16. I'm not going to go through all 16. But he says this. Uh, Revelation is not written primarily about the future. Revelation is not primarily about the end of the world. Revelation is written to a first-century first church being persecuted by the Roman Empire, and to a people who are running for their lives, standing up to the empire, watching the execution of their brothers and sisters, and wondering if it is all worth it. Again, this doesn't mean that Revelation doesn't have you know, implications for the future or that things happening in the future may not line up with John's vision. It simply means that the purpose of this writing of John is to give hope to his brothers and sisters in the first century church to convince them that holding on to the faith is worth it. 
Marty Solomon uses this image. He's like, right, imagine somebody was writing a letter to encourage you, right? And if that letter just said, hey, in 2,000 years, um, the people then are going to be delivered. What does that mean for me in the moment, right? John's purpose may have that message about deliverance in the future, but it's written to a people in the present, in the moment that are suffering and hurting and looking for anything to hold on to in their lives. So now comes the really fun part, right? If we can let go of being scared of Revelation, which I know we often are, or thinking that we should be worried about literal plagues and, and famines in some unknown future time frame, we get to peel back we get to, to peel back the layers of Revelation and, and find a really powerful message. And, uh, and it begins with the Olympics. You know, the Olympics. Sorry. I just, every time I've said the Olympics, as I've been putting the message together this week, that song pops into my head. And, and it's coming to Tokyo, maybe. We could argue about whether that's a good idea or not. But, right, the, the Olympics are coming, right? But we know that the, the Olympics go all the way back. Um, before Rome and into the time of Greece. Um, now, many scholars believe that Domitian was emperor of the Roman Empire at the time of John's revelation. And in part, they believe that because Domitian fiercely persecuted the, the Christians, followers of Jesus. Now, in that time, the empire, the Roman Empire, had officially sanctioned 24 religions, Essentially, worship of, of the other gods, organized cults, uh, you could say. Right? And each one of those 24 had a high priest. And that high priest would represent that cult, that religion, to the, to the empire. Now, there were two other faiths to mention at the time. One was the Jewish faith, right? And the Jews were given an exemption. If they would just pay taxes, if they kept paying taxes, they were exempt from essentially bowing down to Caesar. But they weren't part of the 24. And Christianity, which was really just followers of Jesus at the time, um, it didn't have that sort of name Christianity yet. Um, the followers of Jesus at the time, they did not have standing at all with the Roman Empire. In fact, in transcriptions from the time, we know that Domitian was referred to as Lord and God. He he actually went back to what some of the early Caesars did and declared himself a god and then asked others to, to claim that he was Lord and God and bow down to him. And if Christians were found and weren't willing to bow down to him as Lord and God, they would be persecuted and, and even killed. Right? Now, D Domitian, and this is where the Olympics come in, Domitian was a fan of sports. He loved sports. He, uh, he also loved music. In fact, he, he made the Olympics about both sports and music competitions. But he gave a spotlight to the Olympic Games. Marty Solomon, who I mentioned a little earlier, he has some great teaching on this in the uh, BEMA podcast that I'm going to be borrowing from pretty heavily here. We know a good bit about those Roman Olympics um, in this time from various historical sources. And looking at the first chapters of Revelation, and I think this is where it gets just really fun, when, when we look at the first chapters of Revelation, if you want to pull out your Bible and uh, just glance at some of the things on the pages, we're going to kind of take a quick walk through Revelation. When you look at Revelation and the Roman Olympics, you find these incredible parallels, right? To start, the early Olympic Games, right, they were as much political and religious as they were about sports. In fact, it was to bring everybody to the emperor to pay homage to him. In the, in the times of the Greek Games, 
the middle day of the Olympics would include, include a huge sacrifice to Zeus as the god of the Olympic Games. The Romans just sort of pulled that and borrowed it, and they put it at the beginning, and you were to pay homage to Caesar at the beginning of the games, right? In the same way, when you look at Revelation 1, notice how it announces the lordship of, of Christ, the lordship of God. Then at the opening of the Roman games, a proclamation would be read, and it would include a word to each represented region, and the format was this. It would, it would essentially first say, here are the things that, that this region is known for and is great, and here are the things that the emperor is not happy about in this region, right? For, for example, it might say, to you, Philadelphia, thanks for all the new troops you have sent to be part of the emperor's army, but you haven't been paying your taxes, and this is a problem. If you look at chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, you'll find this exact same format in the letters to the churches. It says where they see blessing, and then it says where the, where the church needs to be careful or hold on or, or grow. And then after the, this proclamation at the games, the crowd would be led by those 24 high priests and we know from historical documents that the high priests would wear white robes with golden crowns on their head. And Caesar himself would often wear a, a white robe with a golden sash across it. You've probably seen that in, in artwork at the time. And they would sing these songs to the, to the emperor and praise the emperor. If you look in Revelation 4 at the throne room scenario... It's 24 elders dressed in white with golden crowns on their heads singing praise. It's like John is just setting these two scenes in opposition to each other. And there's even more. Let me just uh, point out two more. The Olympic Games would uh, open with a largely ceremonial chariot race. Uh, and if the emperor was racing, I say ceremonial because if the emperor was racing, he'd just be allowed to win. You, you, like, you didn't beat the emperor. Kelly and, uh, and Ashley on our staff, um, if I was the emperor, this would be a big problem because uh, I don't think even at the threat of death they would let me win. <laughs> right? Uh, to the point, though, the historians of the time, the chariots were of four colors. They were black, white, red, or spotted or pale. If you look at Revelation 6, the four horses that come out, often you maybe have heard it called the four horses of the apocalypse. The four horses are those colors, black, red, white, and spotted or pale. And they bring conquest and, and violence and destruction and death, just like the Roman Empire. Finally, the, the athletes would parade before Caesar with palm branches and hail the emperor. If you look at Revelation 7 verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice. Now, why does all this make a difference? Well, at the, at the early Olympic Games, at the Roman Olympic Games, the athletes would represent essentially their, their city-state or their region, 
And even more than that, they would, they would represent the God of their city, state, or region. It wasn't like today, like when we think of um, Simone Biles or Usain Bolt today, right? They're, they're individuals, they sort of rise above the sport, they, they represent the, as country, sure, but, but the, you know, the glory can go to them, right? Back then, when an, when an athlete won a race, the glory would go to their God, right? They represented their God. John's audience would have seen these Olympic parallels, in the visions of Revelation, and realize that within them, John was sharing a message, right? How you persevere in these times, how you run the race that is in front of you, to borrow language from Hebrews, will reflect on your God, on God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. If you hold out, if you win by your faithfulness, you will bring glory to God, the Father. Right? Revelation implies through these parallels, that Domitian's, Domitian's empire and glory doesn't even begin to compare to God. God's throne room is amazing, and Domitian is not on that throne. God is. The Lord is. Right? And the, at the heart of it all, John says, in these games, God wins. Not without suffering and struggle. But God will redeem this world, will be victorious. So the message is, right, hold on. Hold on. Followers of Jesus, hold on to God's promise in the midst of trial and suffering. Right, followers of Jesus don't give up when things seem bleak or hopeless. They, they hold on they trust God in those moments. Followers of Jesus, they, they don't give in to the ways of the world or into the ways of the empire, valuing power and rank and position and, and wealth and security and taking care of self. Followers of Jesus hold on to hope. Right? And that hope comes from the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God is defined by a different set of values sacrifice, the blood of the lamb, compassion, justice, serving others. Which brings us back to the question we're going to explore this month, who, who are you? Are you faithful to God? Are you ready to give your allegiance to the empire to avoid the, the suffering and the sacrifice? And right, that, that question may seem weird to us today, even as I, as I put empire language in there. I'm like, does that, does that really relate to us today? Like, there isn't a Roman empire. We're, we're blessed to, to not be at risk of losing our lives, to, to sit here and, and sit at home and, and worship Jesus together this morning, right? We're not under the control of an empire in the same, in the same sense, as the same way as they were in, in the early church. And yet... And yet, is it possible that we do make decisions in our lives every day that choose between faithfulness to God and giving in to culture or, or the empires of today? Right? Are we people who live each moment by hope? 
Or do we live by fear? Are we people who are willing to stand up for justice at the risk of our own comfort and position? Or do we just accept injustice as something we're not in control of and, and part of the system that we live in, the empire? Are we people who are motivated by power and, and position and, and wealth? What the empire says are marks of success? Or are we people who are driven by a desire for equity and, and compassion and, and care? Are we people of the empire or, or are we people of God's kingdom? And is it possible, just possible that in each and every moment we make decisions that either show the world the sacrifice and love and humility of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, or that, that buy into that buy into what culture tells us is good. Who are you? Moment by moment. We may not be Olympic athletes. I'm still holding out that my curling will get me there someday, but the league at Notre Dame closed. If anybody can help with that, I, I need somewhere to curl again. But perhaps we're called to realize that in the game of, of life, we do represent God. And it may seem as in Revelation that the powers of our world are, are winning, right? That to compete, we'll need to accept that the only answer is getting ourselves ahead financially or, or military might or, or weaponizing or hoarding resources or, or casting away those who might take advantage of us. But Jesus showed us the way, Jesus showed us that the way to life eternal, right, the way of God's kingdom is love and sacrifice and forgiveness. So the reality is the way that we live our lives, the way that we face suffering, the way that we see others, the way that we treat others, how we live for the good of the community, it reflects what our God is like. And Revelation says to us that when, when living that way is hard, we should hold on to the truth that God wins and to hold on. So each week at Clay Church, we have a faith fit challenge. And that faith fit challenge is to not just hear God's word, but to, to put it into action in our lives, to, to live it. And this week, in some ways, the faith fit challenge is, is easy, but in, in some ways, I hope it'll be a step that we can take to, to just let God's love envelop our moment-by-moment -moment lives. And we're invited to do this, to, to take your phone today, and I invite you to do this right after worship, and set three alarms on it. Just set it to go off at three times during the day. Once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and, and once in the evening. And you can set it at times that you think will be kind of convenient to you. And when that alarm goes off, I want to invite you just to pray three words 
Just three words each time your alarm goes off. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the word at the, at the end of Revelation. It, it, it's praying, like, Jesus, let your kingdom come. Right? Revelation isn't just about the idea that Jesus will come. It also encompasses that Jesus is coming. It's not just future. It's also present. And so our action this week is just to invite that kingdom to come in and through our lives in each and every moment. And maybe you'll be in a business meeting. You can invite others into that moment of prayer. Maybe you're in a business meeting and you're just going to say it under your, under your breath. Well, let's pray this week, come, Lord Jesus. Do, uh, do, any of you, do any of you skip to the end of a book and read the end? Like my mom, my mom does this. Skip to the book to read the end. I see a few hands. You can be brave about this. It's okay. Like, right, you want to know how it ends. It just helps you read the rest of the book. All right, how about this? Uh, so you've taped a, a ball game. Some of you may be able to, you've taped a ball game. Um, and it's a big game. And so you just, like, you think you don't want to know how it ends. But there's a point where you jump to the ending or you go ahead and look it up. Now, some of you are like, no way you don't do that you got to watch the whole game and experience it. But, but some of you jump to the end. And the reason that you jump to the end is you, you need, like, you don't want to fear everything that happens in that game. You just need to know how it ends so you can watch and, and sort of be relaxed and comfortable. Revelation is, is, is there for those of us who want to, in those moments of anxiety and, and we're not sure we can make it through this moment, Revelation is, is, those of us, is for those of us who want to skip to the end and see what happens right? And God wins. And because God wins, because Revelation shows us that Jesus is coming and will come, right? Then we can face the anxiety and the difficulty and know, you know, we've got the strength to get through this because God wins. I have the power to face this, what seems insurmountable time in my life because eternal life is a gift that is going to be given to those who believe. I have, I have the love to share with others in these times of trial because this love triumphs. And with that promise, God invites you to know, just hold on.